Hello and welcome to the next episode of the Shane Walsh podcast. So today's guest was a good pal is Gavin McKinney. So Gavin is a PT that is based an online coach based over in Glasgow. And I'm actually heading over to see Gavin and record a podcast for his podcast. Um in the next kind of few weeks so i'm going to do a day trip over there and record that with him as well so that should be good and so today's episode is a very big mindset episode because gavin's had an incredible journey himself um from his his so he shares his own story we talk about why he has a problem with eat less move more and i would tend to agree why we stopped we should stop trying to lose as much weight as as possible or as you can we also talk about your different journey. We talk about body confidence. We talk about how we've kind of both dealt with our own insecurities around how we look and the gym anxiety piece. We we talk about why so stopping weighing yourself is a bad idea as well. And we talk about a few different other things that are kind of bug us in the, in the industry as well. So I really do hope you've, you find this episode really, really useful and interesting. If you do, as always, please do tag it up and share us up onto your stories. So before you listen to this episode, leave a review up onto iTunes or onto Spotify. And I hope you enjoyed the episode with Gavin. Gavin, how are we, sir? I'm fantastic, mate. How are you? I'm good, good, good. I know we were kind of chatting for a very long time before we came on air. We've even got me to book a flight that's how uh <laughs> that's how long we've been i was chatting. gonna say i was like are you gonna pretend that we've not just spent 50 minutes fucking <laughs> yeah get to know on a certain website with a buffer Mate, yeah i'm fantastic i just woke up yeah <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah living the pt life great uh gav thanks for so much for for coming on um and i know you've i've been kind of fighting you for a while and the, the, the content's so relatable and that's why i wanted to get you on you definitely have a relatable story as well so for anyone who isn't aware of who you are and your story, divulge. Ah, mate, so my, my least favourite question is like, just tell me about yourself. Everyone hates it. Hilarious. I just watch I people squirm. Yeah, because I don't know what to say. I like, mean, I'm fucking good about it. Like, if you if you ask me what led me to becoming like a PT, there's like maybe like 10 horrific moments in my life and then like discovering stuff I hate. It's more like avoidance of stuff i hate that's led me to being a pt like so just trying things over and over and over again so like i had i've done sales i've worked at, do you know what tunnock's tea cakes are no they're like they're red tea cakes oh, yeah, yeah. Seen them. Yeah, i used to pack them with 40 year old women that was my first job out of school that was horrendous and i'd, I'd done that so i could pay for i and apa and then I'd done a call centre, then I moved to Australia, worked in bartending. And then I became a PT because I tried to get in shape for going to Australia. And then I went to the gym for like six weeks solid and tracked my lifts and tracked my food. And then from then I was like, right, I'm going to become a PT. And I didn't do it for like a year and a half. But then I'd done like eight different shit jobs when I was in Australia. And I just finally lost it when I was stuck in a call centre for five months and i couldn't leave because it, it was covid and that was the only job available and i got sacked for hanging up on racist aussies it's the, it's the most unique intro i've had <laughs> <laughs> i was just trying to condense how, how i've ended up here it's funny to look back at some of the jobs that i was a butcher for a while and that paid that paid for my jabs for your what for my Debs, so like your post kind of like your when you do your final year exams in school right, okay. and your your um your dance or whatever it is. Right, okay. So, uh so that paid for that and paid for holiday. Um but that was coming home smelling like fish. Not a... yeah, I can't even walk in a butcher still with this day. Yeah, like myself and what two of the lads are working in it at the same time. And let's just say a whole lot of people didn't get served. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was so bad at most of these jobs as well. There's one done, everyone in Australia was like, hey, you should get into construction. You can make really good money doing construction. So Gwen got a white card where you had to just listen to some woman tell you how to put like a helmet on for like six hours. And she was definitely spanking lines of gear in between doing this like formal, like telling you how to do safety in construction. And I had done... One shift, 12 hours, setting up the Eminem concert in Melbourne. And it was just me and, me and one Colombian guy. And the Colombian guy thought I was his boss. 
So you just come up and ask me what this is. I would just send them. I mean, get those planks. Come <laughs> these planks. And he's like, what did I do with them? I was like, I'll put them over there. And blind like, leading the blind. Uh, and he would just like put put sentences into Colombian and, and Google Translate them and show me it. Well, I have no idea. He was like, when did I get paid? And I was like, mate, no idea. Jeez, you're, you're a great boss, but it sounds like <laughs> <laughs> not a clue. Not a clue. Um, I think one of the things that like, you're quite no nonsense, as you may people may have guessed from listening to you already. And I think the social the content you put out is quite quite informative, but also mm-hmm. has a point to it. Sometimes you can try and it's one of the things that I struggle with is trying to over inform people on social media. Yeah. Videos and trying to kind of really, really condense it. But I think you put up something recently about having a problem with this whole eat less, move more. Yeah piece of information that seems to be out there what what's the issue you have with it the amount of clients i get that will I'll, they'll say they've had a coach before because it's so common now for people who've had coaches but i'll just be like what did they have you doing they'll just be like 1300 calories on a meal plan and then like 10 to fifteen thousand steps or whatever and then also they they can't lift in general like i'll be like right let's go through like a romanian deadlift they can't do it and i went how long were you on coaching for like eight months and i'm like what did they actually teach you and i'm like so the the calories you were on did did this get up to any point and they're like nah i could never stick to it so i never lost the weight and i'm like so they just kept you on 1300 calories and it's just it's just so so common so i not i don't have the same approach for everyone but for the first like four to eight weeks, I usually don't diet people. I usually just try to get them at a protein goal and start getting them to hit maintenance calories or running around there and just focus on strength. Not for everyone, say someone was like had quite a lot of weight to lose and their problem wasn't that they had tried to eat too little or anything, like they just needed to maybe have some support and get less takeaways and then they actually might start losing weight themselves but I find most of my clients that come to me aren't in that scenario they're in the scenario where they've tried to diet so many times and that just they need like they need like some sort I don't want to say a reset button in terms of resetting their metabolism or whatever but just a reset button on like they're either dieting or gaining weight they're never in the middle and how do you find kind of like the like would you directly say that to clients like how do you deal with that kind of pushback and say right we're not actively dieting for the first four weeks because some people will go like that's where the peak is and kind of getting the buy-in from clients all that kind of stuff so how do you deal with that pushback i think i've noticed over the years because i've been pushing that message so much a lot of people come on with me knowing that's going to be my approach especially if they've listened to my podcasts I don't, I, I think, I've, so when I first started coaching, I would just talk about calories because like most people probably are, they think if they understand calories that you can help everyone. Yeah. Like if you think you can understand the term calorie deficit, you can help everyone. You're like, I have the method and I know how to fix everyone. Um, so all my content was geared around that. So all the clients I got off the back of that were all like ex-slimming world and uh, I don't attract that type of client anymore. But if I tried to tell them that, I wouldn't it wouldn't have worked. And I remember when I first started thinking, right, maybe I should have a different approach. I did try it with those type of clients. It just wouldn't work. Like as in they just wouldn't do it. Why do you think that is? Because it's so deeply ingrained in them to be dieting all the time. And deep really deeply ingrained in them that they're overweight and they need to lose weight and like our childhood sort of scenarios and stuff it's just a different type of client i i find this is gonna sound bad but i find my clients are before they come on are a lot more glued up now but just maybe from my content or if people watch me they maybe watch and maybe inspires them to watch other people but i also now make all my videos you'll find they'll be over like a minute to two minutes long and i'll really try to educate people rather than before I used to just try to say something to get people to watch, make it as short as possible and not really be too educational so that they actually watched it. And I think like I don't know. But your your I've not thought about any of this by the way. So like this is just me saying yeah. off the top of my head. But your content is quite educational with having your own personality across and 
And I think there are different levels where people kind of come in um, with their information. Yeah. Some people, like I do find people that are kind of coming in, sometimes they can know too much. And then are like, I do find the generation that we have right now where there's so much information they know, it's probably all wrong, but that's hard for them to decipher and remove emotion from the information that they believe is like, oh, carbs will make you fat, sweeteners will make you fat, fruit will make you fat, air will make you fat. It's like, yeah, what's left? Yeah, I don't even really talk about these things anymore, as in I'm trying to really make it about not getting to like the like the goal almost trying to shift the goal from what everyone's goal is to just like being lean or losing weight and then that fixes everything trying to get people away from that mostly and trying to shift them to first goal is like lifted weights that's been my like i sit and think about this all the time i sit like i'll write down like my i call it like my avatar this is so gimpy mate this is so gimpy. Uh, if you're on a business uh, book. Uh, yeah. As a startup, mate, I can make you 10 grand a month. Um, but I'll write down who I'm wanting to actually, who's like my ideal person. And before it had been like people just looking to lose weight. But now I'm actually like people that are already willing to lift and people that want to learn how to lift and they just don't know how to go about it. That's like who I'm trying to aim, aim towards now. Yeah, you mentioned something about but it's the first thing that people try to do is like, I need to lose everything now or this is a failure. So one of the big things you kind of mentioned previously was like, I think because your niche has changed or your avatar or whatever way you want to phrase it has changed about stop trying to lose as much weight as possible. How do you like, I know from experience we're working with clients, it's the first thing they want to do is like, I need to lose, lose this amount of weight in this amount of time. And this this is the only way of success. How do you, why is that so important for you to kind of navigate that piece of stop trying to lose it as much as possible? I think it all with everything it depends. Like for some people, weight loss as the primary goal, and like what I'm saying, maybe doesn't apply to them as much. But just just say for instance, you've got someone. We'll we'll put maybe numbers on it, right? So say I've got a woman who's like between. 60 and 65 kilos and she's like five foot nine or whatever and technically she's not like in an overweight category but she's always sort of like just as soon as she's went right i want to sort my health out it's been like weight loss i've got like maybe two or three of those people on just now and i've maybe done like eight to 12 weeks at maintenance and then the way right i still feel like i want to lose weight and i'll be like right cool let's do it a lot of those people just go two or three weeks 400 to 500 less calories and after two or three weeks i'll be like right we, if we're gonna do it we need to do it properly and they go do you know what i don't want to do it because and i'll be like why and they'll be like because i don't i feel like shit my work's going worse I, like i just feel really restricted and now i'll go what do you want to do and they go i maybe quite enjoy where i'm at i was like what were you enjoying she was like oh my deadlift was going up and i've what keep doing that that's the way i've there's never, I don't think there's any way that you can tell someone, like if you told me this when I was in this phase because I was overweight as a kid, I wouldn't have listened to you anyway. But it's maybe having someone there when you do it and it doesn't make you feel better to like push back and be like, right, why doesn't it feel better? Or why why do you maybe feel that way? And then they start getting it. A bit like, I know, because I, I, I've went through therapy this year, but like everything... And my therapist didn't really tell me anything to do. He just kind of led me to the answer for me to figure out myself. Yeah, no, and that's what that's what a decent therapist will do. They they let you talk, judgment free, and then they kind of give you some sort of like give you two or three scenarios, and it's for you to pick. A shit therapist will just tell you how to feel. It's like no, 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 and they won't listen to you, which we were speaking about off air. Um, but I think it's important for like giving the pros and cons to someone saying right this if you actively go on an aggressive diet right now this is what could happen or we can learn how to eat and trust yourself around things and actually get strong as hell now they may want to go for option A 
but they need to be prepared for the repercussions afterwards. I don't aggressively diet people. And the biggest thing that comes back to me is this doesn't feel like a diet because people in their heads, diet means restriction, mass destruction, cut out all fun foods. You you have a very similar approach to me. It'll just be you'll just be wording it differently because a lot of the, a lot of people when I put them on maintenance, like say someone that has a bit like maybe they do they are a little bit overweight, they'll end up losing weight anyway because yeah. they maybe don't hit the maintenance or their maintenance is actually slightly lower. Because I won't be pressure like pressure is off. I also I'm think not, pressure is off. Yeah, I'm not like trying to find their exact maintenance. I'm just putting them on a lot more calories than they put themselves on. And then sometimes they don't reach it, and sometimes they're just moving a bit more. Do you know what I mean? So it's all, some people don't lose weight, but it's more, people have never tried that option of the, they've never seen how it feels to just eat enough calories to stay the same weight or like eat more calories with more protein, with more fruit and veg and train. They've never seen how they feel like that because they never do it. They either are all in with like losing weight or not doing anything usually I find. Yeah. So it's like just getting them to tr- they've never tried that option. Yeah, I think a lot of people can kind of be addicted to that kind of like I need to be on a diet. Like that's the only thing they know really because they've had that from growing up when parents or their mothers in particular I find or their grannies, their aunties would have brought them to swimming clubs. Like I've had clients been brought to swimming clubs at the age of like nine. Or seven, I think is the lowest. Like that messes with your head. No, that's all I all I seen my mum and like my aunt used to always go to Weight Watchers. They used to go to Weight Watchers. And it's funny how because like I always think or I'd but I wasn't at it, these things, but I was being f- fed by these people. So they would go to Weight Watchers on a like Thursday night, they would starve themselves Wednesday and Thursday. And they would, the Weight Watchers was next to a chippy and they would have a chippy straight after the Weight Watchers. And, but that's what I, I was an only child and I grew up with my mum. So obviously I've learned quite a lot of that behaviour. And if I look at the dieting I've done, it's a carbon copy of stuff like that. It's funny how we mimic our parents, isn't it? Yeah. And you've had like, mad stuff, mate, like mad stuff. Because you've had your own journey. So like what kind of mad stuff? I don't think I would find them in magazines or anything. I would just make it up. So I would, so I would, I think I found like an ab workout on YouTube. This is maybe when I'm like 14 or 15. I would just do that like four times a day. <laughs> and then, but that was like my weight loss. I wouldn't change anything about my food. That was like my, my weight loss um, tactic. And then I would weigh myself every morning and see if it didn't go down. That was, I would literally just lose the plot. Then I would try running. Uh, I had to be at six in the morning. There was no other time. There's no logic behind it, but it was six in the morning before everything. And then three days I would last at that, and then I would sack that off. Um, I think when I finally did lose weight when I was about eight, so I played football all the time, and I was I was always pretty decent, but I was always overweight. And then I lost a little bit of weight, I think, just naturally from growing up but I was still maybe a two stone overweight and then I joined a better team and they really like, ha- like I used to have to run more than everyone else like we would do like four laps and then my manager Stuart would go three more for you Gavin <laughs> I'd have to run three more and then I was just avoiding food at that point so even though I lost weight it was there was nothing I don't think I changed anything really about my diet I would just avoid food on it that was all sort of based there. There was no knowledge of like what food would fill me up or anything. And I would also like, I would just be like, chocolate's bad, crisps are bad. Uh, but like special K is amazing. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like that sort of thing. Um, And I would just, con- and then from then, that was like 18 when I lost weight from 18 to like 23, I would just yo-yo diet. And it would be the same tactics because I knew I could lose weight but I would only lose weight through sheer avoidance of food and like maybe playing football like four times a week or something ridiculous and going runs and stuff. It's literally the language that I hear people I work with on a daily basis, unfortunately, that that whole like all or nothing mindset or that kind of disordered eating pattern. 
That was definitely disordered. I remember someone said the other day, disordered. Like, I didn't have an eating disorder. Yeah. But it was disordered eating in terms of like, if you feel anxious after you eat like a chocolate bar, that's disordered. And I would 100%, I would feel, I would, if I ate a chocolate bar, I would fucking destroy myself internally for like five hours. And then I would, that would start me in the next day I would go back to the other side of the yo-yo. And how did you navigate it for yourself? Or did you get help to navigate, navigate it? Or was it kind of like, oh, I'm actually just changing the whole tactic or what, what kind of changed for you? Mm, it's hard to pinpoint. I think tracking taught me a lot. I think tracking and going to the gym at this, because I've done them in conjunction. That's too big a word for me. That means together, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> done it. I started them um, together. I don't, I, there's no point in me trying to sound smarter than I am because I'm not. <laughs> I've started reading a few bu- books, you can tell, because I've thrown words and I'll <laughs> question whether they mean what I think they mean. Um, and I've done them together. So I think, and I think I maybe tried to eat more protein at that time. So I think purely by seeing that if I ate more protein, got stronger in the gym and stuck to a certain calorie amount, I would I would still choose better foods, but I could also fit in the odd thing. So it wasn't about like how much chocolate can I fit in those calories. It was still like if I ate that chocolate bar, nothing really changed. As like w- w- along with the other stuff, and even though I'd only lost five pounds or whatever, when I looked in the mirror, I seen a difference compared to when I just lost weight, and I also felt a bit better. And it, like, it was nothing to do with me talking to myself internally. It was, and I don't think you can, I don't think I can say anything really to any client before they do it. They'll get them to understand. It's just walking them through the process. Yeah, I think you can say as much as you want to someone unless that person's ready to hear it or yeah. willing to accept it. I think it, it comes to, conversation with one of my clients during the week like i'm kind of more about like you're not exercising to lose fat you're not walking to lose fat you're going for a walk for your headspace and i got a message from a client during the week of saying now i finally understand what you mean about this i didn't really want to go for this walk but i needed it i felt so tired before work i knew i had a busy day i went for the walk i went for another walk at lunch for 15 minutes i went for another walk in the evening and i felt so much better and i actually felt like I could take control of the day. Did I get all the work that I needed to do done? No, but I actually felt better and I'm proud of my choices because I was able to proactively go out for a walk. Now, that might seem so simple to someone, but that is so powerful to someone else who's potentially in that lost place around food and body confidence and body image and disordered eating patterns and stuff. So it's 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 interesting to see that you're you're um you're at the other side now with the, the the food side of things as well. And I think it's important for what you said there about the disordered eating pattern compared to eating disorder. I think people can there are links to it, but people I would say an awful lot of people have a disordered eating pattern. Like if you've got yeah. food guilt, it's a disordered eating pattern. Yeah. Um, took me I, I think i've not really thought about it that much but i think it did take a lot a lot of just time for that to go away not really any specific like doing the changing how i ate and seeing different results and stuff but i think that just faded with time i don't think it switched overnight oh i tracked my food and seen it. it was like just a long process of it fading like going for a breakup or something you know like you can't just get over it but it fades away with time but I find a lot of people, what they're trying to do is they put tend to put like this deadline on themselves saying this has to be done. I need to lose this amount of weight by this date. And that ends up like creating this like self-sabotage loop. For that's why that's why I've done. I, I don't know why I'm comparing this to a breakup, but like that's what I remember doing with the first breakup. I went through like I need to go over in a month. Why am I not over in a month? I need to go over in two months. Why am I worse than I was last month? <laughs> and then just beating myself up like that but i think that's half of our job isn't it to just be like you're fine just keep doing it it will it will change because like losing weight and fitness and health is like it's such an emotional journey and food is an emotional piece and i think one of the big things a lot of people can struggle with is this piece of perspective 
that when say they have a meal out that maybe they didn't want to have or they didn't need to have or it's kind of like well are you are you enjoying the meal out of part of your values or what have you really wrecked if your mindset's still the same like i've never met anyone to have gained fat from one meal or, or night out with mates it's normally the decision the conscious decision afterwards that normally brings someone further away from their goal and sometimes the biggest win for someone like that is actually like encouraging a meal out should telling them beforehand look your weight's going to go up i i expect it to go up then when it goes up tell me about it don't avoid the scale let's and like you can avoid it in the future but for this time let's weigh yourself the day after you go have this meal out and have whatever you want see your weight go up right ne- next few days let's weigh yourself every day just to see it come down just to teach and like you don't have to do that every time but just once just so I can show you how, what you're doing to yourself in your head compared to what is actually happening because you haven't gained fat, you gain a bit of water when it comes down. So let's walk you through that process and sh- show you it because you're. Not, I, I can tell you this, but until you see it for yourself, you'll never grasp it. And then that can sometimes be one of the most liberating things for someone. It is because I think the first thing that people can do is after a night out, they go and weigh themselves like, oh, affect this whole thing up. It's like, yeah, but you don't realize the scales was a measure of fat gain. Yeah, it only measures weight, but you could literally gain weight from if I drank this liter bottle of water, that's going to make me gain weight. Then does that make water as bad? So if you bring in that perspective and that logic to things where people can get blurred lines, people are like I affect this whole thing up. That's emotional reaction. But all I've had is a liter bottle of water, and my weight's gone up. So what have I done wrong? But people forget that piece. Well, people maybe aren't aware of that piece, but when you actually start to challenge things out in a piece of paper, I always find this piece of paper exercise with clients. Like one of the experiments I do with clients is step on scales fasted before uh, after you go to the bathroom. Drink two liters of water with no food for in the space of about two hours. Have you ever done that quickly? I've done that for a test. Oh, you feel so I, sent cool. my, I mean, I sent myself in like a spasm. That <laughs> was awful. For about three hours for a video, done the video, and then after I was like, just like shaking like this, and I was like, googled it. I was like, oh, you're over, over over hydration or something." And I'm, I was absolutely. I just had to stop work that day and everything. Yeah, like it was. People can die from too little water. Too people can die from two. Uh, two the two hours is the main point. <laughs> two hours, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, maybe not two liters then, but uh, but people can put on. I've had clients do the exercise or do that experiment, and they're always surprised. If I someone put on like i think it was like four or five pounds in the space of an hour an hour and a half of doing it and they're kind of like that's how easy it is to change your scales weight but that doesn't mean you've derailed anything you think this is something i've been thinking about that people's relationship with a scale food exercise and themselves really like their relationship with their body are all kind of linked so like when you start to improve link when you start improving one they all sort of improve yeah i think the overarching element of it all is linked to control so it's controlling what other people think of you so you think that i need to fit into this boring life of looking like everyone else or looking thin because that's been your ideology or been your narrative for a long time that if i look a certain way or weigh a certain weight i'm going to fit into society and be accepted by society if I eat this certain way and be fitted into society because food is such a social experiment and we need validation and acceptance. But there's also a level of arrogance behind it because you have to ask yourself, why are you the only person? Or are you really that arrogant that Mary sitting at the table beside you in the restaurant is giving a crap what you're eating? Like, do you really think that she's spending her fucks in a day watching you eat and judging you for what you're eating are there people that do it 100 i've been at tables and people are looking at other people and doing it i'm not going to say that's but you have to have a certain level of arrogance to believe that everyone's watching you because it is a control thing we all want to be liked we all want to be loved but it's also another level of arrogance saying that everyone has to love us because if you look at any celebrity say i don't know why chris martin's the first celebrity that came into my head but People will either love him or hate him. Rihanna, everyone will love them or hate him. Cristiano Ronaldo, it's either Messi or Ronaldo. Like everyone 
is different. Everyone has different choices. Everyone is very, very different. And that's what makes us unique. But it all circulated by the control piece that we're trying to control what other people are thinking. But when you stop actually trying to control what other people are thinking and actually do what you want and, and actually being clear on your values and understanding what's important to you, you will you like an almost a proverbial weight will be lifted off your head and off your shoulders. But it could take time for people to and then your values can change over time as well. Yeah. I think there's two things that spring my head from that. I think the first lesson I learned, which was still like the weight loss one, was remember so when I said I was going to Ayanapa, like I I done the usual, like I avoided food ran a lot played a lot of football and i had this specific goal I, I made this like a tweet once i had a specific goal that i had to be like i'd never reached like 12 stone i think that was my thing i was like right i'll look amazing at 12 stone i've never got there i've only got to like 12 and a half so i was like i'll get to 12 stone and people do this so much especially for like holidays and stuff so <laughs> i was 18 right so i'm 28 so bear in mind this vulgar language was 18 year old me not me i was like i'll shag everyone when i go there at 12 stone like i'll all the women will be attracted to me like i'll be the most attractive there if i get to 12 stone i just thought that would change that would just because that's what those holidays were about it was like you were 18 and uh like lads that's the way they would treat it and i, I had zero luck with women over there <laughs> Like absolutely zero luck. And I remember specifically, and I didn't even try. I just thought, like, I didn't try to speak to anyone because I thought I was 12. And I got to the 12 stone. I thought, like, I'm 12 stone. Like, the woman will come to me. <laughs> and I would just... I got sores to tell ourselves. Yeah. And I would just have, like, 10 pints and then go home. Like, no woman came came to me. Um, but I also remember one of my mates is just naturally one of those people that he just had abs they like always i went to primary school with him he had abs when we were fucking like seven and uh I, I, he took we got a picture on the beach together and even though i would got to the lowest weight i'd ever been i'd still still like skinny fat still had man boobs or whatever and i just remember seeing that picture and going i just absolutely starved myself still absolutely hate how i look and it didn't do anything for me and i still had i still relearned that lesson like five times so was, that's 18 that I learned that and from 23 i still done the same thing i still done it picture. every year yeah i saw that picture and i saw the cat the the comment under it um so since you started doing your own journey what have you what's the biggest takeaway that you've learned to actually not try like one thing I do is I have everyone muted on Instagram. I still watch stories and stuff because my brain has figured out ways to get around that. So, like, if I go and look at who's viewed my story, it's still got a red ring around it. So my brain's literally figured out. And, like, I'll still go on, like, 10 people that I like's profile while I actually have to search it or whatever. And if someone's DM me, I might go on their profile or whatever. But I've got everyone muted. I don't want... I also this crosses over like coaches as well i don't because i found myself like watching people's following going up or like people would say how well their business is doing as a coach i don't i'd start doing the exact same thing as i would do with my body when coaches but it was so subconscious that if you asked me if i was doing that i would say nah but i would have a, a bad feeling sometimes or like slightly elevated level of anxiety but i wouldn't you i wouldn't be able to tell you that's what it was from but i reckon it was from that so i muted everyone um, and also, like, one of the biggest things I try to do is I, I just care about feeling good day to day. So I try to sleep well, I try to work out, and I try not do too much work, like, as in not work all day. And I just focus on trying to feel good day to day. And, like, I still, I, rec I carry more fat around my upper area than most people also say I would have, but more fat around, like, I would never have that the shape that like bodybuilders have unless i got absolutely fucking like let uh, stage ready or whatever and i just try not focus on that because i've been lean enough where i feel like i've not got 
an overhang of like whatever. And I reckon I'm, maybe I've got that from genetics or maybe because I did spend 10 years of my life being probably three to five stone overweight. Don't know if I'm just the way my chest sits or whatever, but I try not think it, I try not think about it and I openly talk about it. One of the things I've done as well is I was bulking when I went to Bali, right? And I knew that I, I was probably the person in the worst shape in the CrossFit gym there because I was actually, like, I'd overbulked as well, but I was actually, I knew I'd put on too much fat. But I started, when I first went, I was like, I really don't want to take my top off in here because everyone's ripped to the to the gills and they're all in quite good shape. And then I just went, I'm going to take my top off anyway. And I did, like, three weeks there, I went and trained every time. I would talk to people and I could maybe feel them look at me and go, he's not in good enough shape to be in here, like whatever. Not even good enough shape because I could lift the same amount of them and stuff, but I was just a bit fatter. I wasn't shredded. And like that was one of the most liberating things for me. And do you know what I got it from? I'd done, a, I'd done a post because I was in Spain last year and I was with one of my mates and he just randomly said to me, he went, here, look, out, look around. We're on the beach. And he was like, Look, just look around. Say there's like a thousand people. You don't get you don't get this chance much. Just we're in Spain. It's not the UK. It's not like the most obese country, in, like or the third most obese country in the world or whatever. I don't even think that's the stats. Actually, well lower, but like that's what people say. Um, and he was like, "How many people are actually like in shape?" And like I seen one guy that was steroided out as been walking past, and then everyone else was like not remotely in cheap. I'm not saying everyone was fat, but like even there were just guys that were dead, dead skinny, obviously never been to the gym before. Then there was like people that were overweight. Then people that just maybe did go to the gym, but they weren't in ridiculous shape. People were just like lying with their rolls and stuff out. And then we went, right, let's go on Instagram. And we just started scrolling. I went to my Explorer page. Everybody's ripped out their mind. And I was like, even though I know this in my head, so you're doing a visual experiment where you get your phone there and a thousand people like on the beach. I was like, that's so like it just something like it. You know when have you ever had something where your your brain just lifts a bit? Like in Sapsis. Yeah. I was just like ah, a turbo epiphany. Turbo epiphany. But like that that's a really useful experiment because you are like what's the first thing people do first thing in the morning when they wake up? They Check look at the phone and then they look at bodies, big Betty booty or six pack beat. It's the first <laughs> thing they see. Or what's the last thing they do at night? Big Betty booty, six pack beat. <laughs> so the first thing they see in the morning is that. The last thing at night they see that before they go to sleep. So no wonder your brain is acclimatizing to this is what I should look like. But whenever you notice you're on holidays, you're kind of, I lo- I genuinely think people watching should be a, an Olympic sport. I would. I, mean, I, lo- I, I would love go. it. I love it. Since I, I stopped drinking as well. Since I, I stopped drinking, I, I like going to like busy pubs as long as like the drunk people aren't next to me and just watching. But like even just in a coffee shop or whatever it is, you're just kind of, you're just, just people watching it's like you're not even making judgment you're just kind of just watching what like i wonder what the hell that person does mm. and you're like you get it wrong every single time trying to figure them out like yeah you're kind of like what's this person's deal like this person looks really content really really happy and like, what's their deal or else these are persons like they've obviously clearly had a fight with their partner <laughs> yeah just for raging <laughs> yeah exactly but that's i think that's a really good um experiment to do uh, when you're on holiday, if you're in that headspace to, to, to kind of test it out. That was like a, not a P, so it's the guy that does my podcast clips I was telling you about. Yeah. And I was like, mate, that is, and I made a whole video about it. Oh, that's what I was, so when I made that video, some guy commented on it saying the most um, liberating thing he's ever done. And I think it was because he maybe thought he had a small willy. He said, he, he, this is just a random comment. He went, I went to a nudist speech and he was like, I've never been worried about how I look or my willy again. <laughs> and I was like, that's so fair. But still, that's like, I've never done that. That's slightly perverted into it because he's obviously going and looking at a little look. Yeah, it's it's mad with the, the way, like I, 
I'm going to murder this quote, I think. Uh, I saw someone was like, Ray, Ray, you kind of say comparison to Thief of Joy. But I think the comparison should be called avoidance because you're avoiding actually what you want and avoiding yeah. what you need. I can't remember where I saw it. I'm going to guess it's like Ryan Holiday. Something that sounds daily stoic That's the technical term. Um, but it, it it can be like, actually, if you when you start looking after your own interests, and I think a lot of people can struggle to to look after our own interests because they actually don't know what they're interested in. I think that, so when I'd done that in Bali, that was over like three weeks. And I remember when I first done it, I spoke to like one or two coaches in there. Again, these are people that, you know, when you just know someone's on gear, yeah, you just look at them, you go, gear, you're on gear, 100%. Like, I don't even need, like, you absolutely are. Speaking to one or two of them. And they're the ones that I, felt looked at me like i could just see i like and this is what i was worried about before i done it so i could just see them look me up and down like probably judging me but then i would speak to them and then that would i'd maybe think about that when i went home and then the next day i'd go in i'd do it again and by the way i was like lifting quite good weight like when i was there so i wasn't worried about anything like that but i knew that like they were all abs shown I wasn't and like if you see me you wouldn't go he's in bad shape i was just in nowhere near good to shape as them and then i was started thinking about it and like spoke to quite a lot of sound people in there and then the ones that i did feel judge me were the ones i didn't like in general like even when i sat down and had dinner for them with them i didn't like them so i was like right so the people that i do feel like have judged me maybe a wee bit are the people i really don't like so like why why do I, why would I ever care? And that's something that people think is out with their possibilities of like getting to that level of like thought process. Like they think they can't get to that thought process. But like if you look at me, I and Appa are riddled with insecurities, sinking copious amounts of pints because no one would speak to me. I've went through that journey. Do you know what I mean? It's interesting that you said that it's kind of like we're we're striving for acceptance from a lot of people actually that we actually don't want in our lives. Yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't have them as a friend. No. And like you, you have people you wouldn't around even you have now. That, them. Yeah, you have people around you right now for who love you for a very different reason, or they're they're friends with you for a very different reason. Like yeah. your kids don't give a shit what you look like. Your partner or whatever maybe doesn't really give a shit. People will always have a comment. And I think my dad's a poet. He's not really. He just says come some mad shit that sticks in my head. But dad always said to us, like, everyone, opinions are like ourselves. Everyone has one. And for someone's opinion to, to matter to you, that need, their opinion needs to matter more than your own. And when I heard that, when I was in my lowest thing, it was kind of another one of those sentences that kind of stuck out. It's kind of like, everyone has entitled to their own opinion. doesn't mean it's right. Like, I can make a comment right now on someone else, but I also don't know what situation there is. But because just because I have an opinion, it doesn't mean it's right. I have, someone can have an opinion on politics, or like the boys of life out of me. But that doesn't mean it's right. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. It's the joy of freedom of speech. But for their opinion to land and register, that must matter more than your own opinion of yourself. And sometimes when client that lands with clients, they're like, holy shit, I've been I've wasted X amount of years thinking this. I'm kind of like, hang on, let's reframe this. I am going to take this amount, I'm going to look forward and use this as a fuel for the next X amount of years and look forward rather than looking back. I've got this amount of years to look forward to. Because there's always, it might be 20, 30, 40 years of thinking one way, but you still got 20, 30, 40 years, 50 years of thinking another way. Because I, what I found is, and I'm genuinely excited to get old, older. Because you know, when you get older and you meet like the old man, he like sits in the porch, like you're manning up, basically. Or the two old boys and the Muppets. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to be them because you get to say what you say, you get to say what you want, and you don't have to deal with any of the repercussions afterwards. I'm just hoping our generation aren't as racist as our dads. Because <laughs> yeah, that's, right. that's maybe something that I don't want to look forward to. And dad says stuff. And I'm like, ah, I don't say that. <laughs> I think that's such a generational thing. 
I don't think that. So I like, it's true. It is true. Like, sure, if you look at London, London's sign for years was no blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Hmm. My dad told actually told me two days ago the first black person he ever saw was in London. I was like, that's a great fact. Tell me more. <laughs> Did he tell you more? <laughs> no. <laughs> I was just like, where's this going? Yes. <laughs> so Tuesday night, Celtic are playing. We're watching the football. Why are you tell me this? Oh, you're watching the, the the match on Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. Terrible. Um, I think I had something to say based off of that last thing. I don't want to be that guy that's like, oh, like the therapist told me this, but, be that I'll, butcher, but. I'll butcher what he said. But I just said something and I was like, someone X said I was probably an X, right? That's what most is about. And I was like, right, they said something and it made me feel like this. Or they made me feel like this. And I can't remember how he worded it. But he he was like, they didn't make you feel like that. They said something and you made yourself feel like that based off of what they said. Yeah. But he said it better than that. No, but I, I understand what I understand what he's saying because if you think about it, words words have no meaning unless humans attach the meaning to it. Yeah. So if I called you a lamppost, means nothing. If I called you a twat, you may take offense to that. Yeah. But it means nothing unless you actually project yourself onto that word of like, oh, this is my insecurity. This is actually what's coming through. That's what's that's what's projected onto that that word. So I understand what they're trying to say. And he wasn't meaning it like right. Nothing anyone says to you should ever bother yeah. you. It was more just like, but just the, it was just the first little taste I got of right. Okay, I am in con- like I have an element of control of my thoughts because most people think they don't. They think their their thought their thoughts are them. But really, it's their their thoughts aren't them. Yeah, it's like that. It's almost like two things going on. Have you ever seen George Father Ted? I've not watched much of Father Ted. Sorry, I know I've just offended all your all your listeners. It's fine. Father Ted references (laughs) I deal with. Um, So in Father Ted, there's an image of dreams versus reality. That's often, and the the dreams are on the outside of his head, and the reality is on the inside of his head. Okay. Um. And often what people can, can't disassociate themselves from the facts of fiction. So one of the things I always say to clients is cool story. Like there's no evidence of what anything has ever said to me in whatever. It's always an opinion. It's always a belief system. A belief is a story about ourselves that we've created to protect ourselves away. Oh, I'm not good enough. Define good enough. No one can define it. So why are we good enough for, for what? Exactly. But what define good enough in any space? And they're like, I can't define it. So why are you striving for it? No, I want to be perfect. It's like, okay, so, well, perfection is the inability to accept that you are human. So navigate that piece for me. There's not many coaches that come at it from this angle, is there? No. Because I find I find coaches do it in the exact same way with their business. That's why I have them all muted. Like, all this competition. Yeah, I don't follow many coaches. Like I've actually, I'm kind of doing an audit each day. It's kind of like my goal for September and October is to delete like ten accounts that aren't adding to me. Um, so it's it's actually quite therapeutic. I don't know why. It's, okay, I don't know why. It was kind of yeah. I just decided to do it. I don't know why. Just. Uh- yeah. Coming into the fitness industry was so strange. It's a weird industry. Because I don't even mean all the insecurities and the, the pictures and all that. I just mean even just the way it's set up. Like as soon as someone has 30 clients, they become a business coach. It's almost like multi-level marketing, but there's no structure to it. Like as in it's just, it, it's not, it's like an unwritten rule that that's what people do. And I just, I just find it quite sh- strange. Find it quite. Sh- it's almost like it becomes. Well, people forget that they're coaches, and because although we are, we are running businessmen. We're not we're businesses. We're not entrepreneurs. But there's a strong element of people 
treating themselves as like entrepreneurs and it being this whole like dick measuring contest with how much money you can make and stuff and it's just really toxic as well like all of that they, those insecurities were how people look they transfer them straight on to like businesses so when i've had people helping me with business i i take everything they say and just go but everything you just told me about like what to change about my business and make more money just I already have envisioned that and from doing stuff like that in the past, I know you've just made my life worse. Do you get what I mean? Yeah, and I, that's that's why I I don't I don't like any of it. No, I don't know really like the industry. Like I only I kind of keep the circle of kind of the inner circle, should I say, I'm kind of with fitness people that I would talk to or kind of that I'd meet up with kind of quite small. Yeah. Um and like, there is plenty of good people, but you, you can't have all of those good people. So when you find the ones that you... I've probably got five or six. Yeah. And like we know there's one in common that we know and that your buddies with, Carl. So like there are people that are out there that are good eggs out there, but they are very few and far between. Um, but it is that ego thing of like, right, about having a business. Because what what's the first question that a new person asks you? What do you do for a living? Is one of the first questions. So, like, if you're on a date or something like that, what's the first question someone asks you? Oh, what do you do yeah, for yeah. it? Kind of like, well, who cares? Like, yeah. like I understand it from because there are stats or something like that that they kind of say that in a partner, those who identify as women are more interested in the career what that other person they're not that they're kind of like their new partner is going to do because they're looking for security they're looking for people to be able to, to provide for their families and stuff in the future so i do get it does serve a purpose but there's also the other toxic trait of this ego piece of trying to fit yourself in on this society measure of where you're going to fit in like am i better than this person am i less than this person and like whenever like people are as like and with social media it's like this highlight reel you could someone who could could literally just be standing outside harrods right now taking lying on top of a porsche that's belonging to some some lad from saudi arabia and they could claim that's their car that's how easy it is to manipulate it i've seen so many pts and coaches like that i've known clearly just lie about stuff like business wise like just clear clear lies yeah, like I and I, I just, I just, I hate, I hate all of that. I don't know if that's embedded in me. From, I think Glaswegians really have a tough time like bigging themselves up. Like where well, uh, the most Scottish and Glaswegians are very like Irish people. Like I have, yeah. a, I have a question on my, um, on my check-in sheet. I have like three things you're proud of this week. Irish people are really struggle with that answer. Kiwis and Aussies, not so much. <laughs> from living in Australia mate, Aussies try they try to say they've got like really brutal humour and self-deprecating humour and stuff and then when they actually meet us they're like oh right okay, this is what self-deprecating humour actually is <laughs> they're like you know you say the word can't like that doesn't make you I've, like it's not it's not the same level of sheer dryness and like you've never done a proper winter I love that that whole thing of getting offended by that C word, right? You can't say the word country without saying the word country. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I actually don't use it as much anymore. I think the whole, you know, like how James Smith re- was really... Yeah, but I think that's over- a way of getting sensationalist headlines. Like, I, But he's lived in Australia for a long time, so I don't know. I don't know. I'm just... I'm, no, I just mean that the way that he swears quite a lot, and I would naturally swear. I've probably swore like 10 times in this, but I... I probably swore more because at the start I knew it would get attention and it just felt quite icky and I'd seen a lot of other people do it I was like this actually doesn't feel like me anymore genuine, so. I need, I need to use words like conjunction now that's the word of the day calendar working for ah, I'm going to write that down and use it quite a lot there, there's your content for today um, but I, but I think there's so much in what we've spoken about. I think it's gone down a different, very different. Like I have four questions written in front of me, and I'm not going to use any of them. Um, but I think that's that's really interesting from a piece of kind of like 
that eat less, move more, because it is the first thing that doctors and other people would say, uh, the whole thing of like trying to not lose weight as much weight as possible. And, but also hearing about like what you talk, spoke about, about being over in that gym in Bali, I think it was about in that CrossFit gym, about feeling insecure in yourself. And I remember being over there, I got jacked. I got the biggest I ever was. But when you kind of, you, you start measuring yourself against everyone else, but they've also probably been training for how long, how much longer. And then you also see the other end of it, someone who's just there to be trying to get fitter. And you're kind of like, I actually kind of link in with these people, relate to these people a lot more than ones that are just trying to get fitter and do it for their headspace. I relate to these more. So I'm actually going to go for dinner with them. I'm them. Yeah, I know exactly. I'm a PT, but I'm teaching them how to like just because I, I may like where I'm at is just about like I don't strive to be happy, but I just strive to not be stressed or anxious, stressed, anxious, or just annoyed. I, I sort of live my life that way now. It's just like it's not, I'll do still do hard things, obviously, but trying not to like overly stress myself out about stuff I can't control. And I think even the, the the biggest people in those gyms are brought like usually the not saying they're all the most insecure, but they like it does to get to that when whenever someone gets so far in something like I know for a fact all the coaches I know are making that are making the most money have lived in probably the most negative headspaces that and that's drove them to get there. I feel like that's the case with a lot of like the biggest thing I learned from that you know the high performance podcast. All of those people are mental. The Johnny Wilkinson one. He's fried me. It He's absolutely cooking. Frightening. How he, even he, doing the washing up with the analysis. I see. I remember I told you when I was listening to you, I was like, what about crying? crying. <laughs> that made me feel better about myself. I was like, fuck, I'm fine. I was like that poor fucker. I was just like, oh my god, I'm actually half normal. <laughs> So he just, he didn't even enjoy winning the Rugby World Cup. Ever, the full world was like, oh my God, I wish I was him. He's just done the most icon. I can't remember what he done. I don't have a rugby person, but I remember it. I remember he like scored the winning kick. Yeah, two of them. It was, was against Australia, wasn't it? In Australia. And he, I was, it was a winning kick. Yeah. And it was like iconic pictures of it. He's everywhere. And he didn't enjoy that one single bit. And the only time he actually enjoyed his career was when it was that too long. Because he was actually not worrying about six steps ahead. He was actually playing in the moment. But even like, who was it? Stephen Hendry just basically said he he had to lose everything, his marriage, his relationship with, I'm, I'm probably butchering this, but his relationship with his kids and all that in order to win so many snooker championships. And there was like maybe 10 people that I listened to on that that followed that exact same sort of life. And I went, why? Why am I? Because like as a coach, you maybe go right. I'm going to make as I'm going to help as many people as possible, gain loads of followers, like make as much money as possible. And then I listen to them and go, now I'm going to um, try work as efficiently as possible to help as many people as I can, and also not overwork myself and do stuff I enjoy. That's what I'm actually going to do. And any business coach I've had has tried to get me stopped doing that and I'm like oh, you can keep your extra five grand a month that I could potentially make and I'll just not have it and I'll just be happy but I think you do have to go down that avenue to appreciate what actually oh, is yeah, important yeah. to you I, I've gone down that route I've gone down the whole route of earning X amount and I'm kind of like one the systems weren't there to manage it but also I was driving myself I kind of lost them what was important to me a little bit but it also came with a kind of a course of mental health. And I was like, I'm happy out just doing this, doing this, knowing that certain times I'm not working, certain times I am working, don't work weekends, trying my best to try and not look at the phone in the evenings. Does it always happen? No. But yeah. it's been, it's having a cut off with it. I know some people like those business mentors you're talking about are like hustle, 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 hustle. hustle. It's like, yeah, it gets you to a point. But yeah. It, there is a little bit of element of it that you need to push things a little bit. I definitely not- work more than the average person, but there's still like 10, 20 extra hours a week that I could be like doing stuff that I just, I've, I've came to realize it's not worth it. 
But it's I almost like there's the there's the weight there's the amount of weight loss you can achieve before it stops being worth it. Like I'll be happy when I'm like you won't be happy when I can assure yeah. you right now you won't be happy when in a certain even point. that even that sentence no matter what no matter what that the end of that sentence says it's not true. Why would I prove it? I was like, well, I was, I was happy. I was like, well, when was the last time you were that weight? I was that weight pre-kids. It's like, were we happy then? It's like, no. So there's evidence that you weren't still happy. So what was the issue? What was the underlying burdening issue? It was like, I want a validation acceptance. It's kind of like, but you have it if you want it, if you look for it. It's from you. You can't rely on other people to give you that. It's like yeah. that validation acceptance piece that people keep looking for is within them. It's really hard, isn't it? Because that's how... That's um, that's not something like we said that you can, you just wake up one day and you have. It's like a whole new journey that you need to, yeah. And you might not even know that you're on it yet, but when you're on it, you need to stay on it. And you can easily go back to, like I could easily just go right. I'm going to work seventy hours this week. I seen this coach. He started at the same time as me. He's now with this business mentor. Can I join on with him? And then I'll make that same money and stuff. You can easily just fall back into the trap. It's like constantly telling yourself, "No, what, what, what's that? What actually makes you happy and stuff?" Yeah, but I always find what keeps me kind of grounded is kind of looking at where where I was that kind of six and a half years ago, and look at where you're at now. I'm kind of like, Do you know what? Do you know what? That's yeah, the issue. Sometimes when I get find myself getting overwhelmed or getting maybe caught in that rabbit hole and getting caught in that loop with training or the business or whatever it is, I'm like, hang on, look where you were at six and a half years ago. Look where you've got well, it for yourself now. If you think of it like when you were on that podcast talking about how you had depression, you started Joe Wicks, you had ordered sleeping tablets and stuff like that. And when I had started PTing, and I was listening to that podcast, walking around my estate, crying, <laughs> listening to that. I've both of us, like you said to yourself then that you'd be doing this podcast, you're like 300, what are you like 300 episodes? More, nearly 400. And you've been PTing successfully, you've got a coach and stuff. If you said you'd have bit your hand off, you went, I'll, I'll be delighted then. And then if you said to me, like, I would run a coaching business. I'd be on podcasts and stuff like that. I would. I wouldn't have believed you. So you still need to think of because right now we we both we both basically before we came on this podcast we're like having a slight moan about stuff. Yeah, I but mean, moans are right, like yeah, yeah, no, I get it. You need to moan. Yeah, I, you're allowed. Really you're allowed like five moans a day. Five moans a day. Yeah, it's fucking yeah. freezing, right? You've got you've used one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I think it is, it is important. Like we were kind of giving out about things. We like we would have bitten our hands off to have had yeah. these. Like, as I hate this sentence, I'm going to say it. The first word problems. Yeah, I fucking hate that sentence so much because it sounds like it come, comes across as so arrogant. Yeah, well, they are. They are realistically. Yeah. Um, I think like that there's so much in that episode and like we could talk for fucking ages, but I think well I'm coming over to Glasgow for a podcast with yourself because Gavin does his podcast in the studio like an actual adult. Um <laughs> unlike me who's doing it in the home office. Um so I'm going over to Glasgow in two weeks. I think stay this 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 day two weeks. What did you say second of November? Yeah. Or did you say second um, of October? Second of November. Uh so six weeks away. Sorry though. Six weeks ago. I was like, oh, November? I don't know. You, you can come in October if you want. I don't, I don't know. I know I'm going in November. <laughs> right. Yeah, six weeks. That's fine. Um, yeah, that's perfect. So we'll um, we'll finish up here, Gav. So where can people find out about you on socials? Uh, just at Gavin McKinney PT on Instagram, TikTok or whatever. And then the podcast is chat shit get cancelled it's called just type my name in no because it's easier yeah awesome so i, mean, I t- talk about stuff like this all the time yeah but i think like it is just i think the the one thing that i've taken out of this is that it's that social experiment with the phone and being on yeah. i think that's a really really cool one first that's my takeaway from this i always try to take something away from each episode that i have when i have a guest because i stopped doing guest episodes for a long time did you yeah, because I just felt it was a lot of pressure to try and get a new guest each time. And I started falling out of love with the process. 
because I do two episodes a week. So hard to get a good guest as well, isn't it? I've been really lucky. I've chanced my arm. With not him. even, but I mean, like just the thought process of like asking them. I've not. I, I don't have much complaints with people I've had on, but just like the whole process of like messaging them, trying to get the right times. So, like, it took us a week. Yeah, but like it was, it took us a week. But I've had I've had people have taken six months to get on. Like I remember there was one person I really really wanted to get on. I've also had someone who's taken me five years to get on. But I always find the ones that it doesn't go according to any questions or the ones that don't have questions for are the ones that I actually learn more out of. Like the one that comes to my head straight away is Chris Williamson episode. I learned a lot more because I was in, I was related to what he was talking about, about the the not drinking thing. And one of the sense he says is like, not like alcohol is the only thing, only drug in the world that you get ridiculed for not taking. And as someone who hasn't drank in six and a half years, I'm kind of related to that an awful lot. And I know he, you're finishing it here, but I've, I'm nine months. Yeah, like I, I just, I just don't think I just for me it just wasn't worth it for the anxiety the next day. The uh, hangovers. Mm-hmm. Well, I only started getting hangovers in late twenties, and I just, and they're probably about eighteen months later. I was off the off the drink, but like the odd time, you're kind of like I find like the zeros, the Guinness zeros and the Heineken zeros. Guinness zero, I want to sponsor this? They can. Um, they fucked me up, like my stomach. Yeah, but it's the Start. same thing. Yeah, but it's all the body and the weed. Like it is, they, they they have the same effect as the proper Guinness. But like you can only drink, drink two of them, and you're kind of like, right, that's that's it's the first cold sip. I always find maybe I'm so because <clears throat> I I started drinking them at the start, and I would have like two or three, and then now I had one on Sunday. There. It happens every time, and I always go, is it something I ate? But it's not. It's every time I have one of them, farting for days. Yeah, it's can't stop, and it's it's horrific. Yeah, it takes it takes all night to like go away. So I think I'll be on the diet cokes. What a glorious note to finish up a podcast on. <laughs> Leave you on that note. Wherever yeah, you, you are, if you're on the bus, you're driving. I was fat fart like fuck when I'm drinking on alcoholic. Leave that in your brain the rest of the day. Exactly, that's the final beautiful fart note to leave on. Brilliant, Gavin. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for Gavin for coming on to the podcast. I apologies for the swearing. It's one of those episodes. So apologies for that. If you listen to the, the episode in the, with the kids in the car or whatever it may be. So there was a warning on the episode in the write up. So the, the warning was there. So hopefully you enjoyed that episode with Gavin. If you have, please do tag and share us up onto your story. And I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please do review up on iTunes and up on Spotify. And I will talk to you very soon.